my presentation looks towards a phenomenological analysis of serial killers. So although this is not my PhD topic, my thesis was on Husserl's theory of empathy, I do want to do and turn my research towards linguistics and phenomenology. And this presentation was a nice way of, I won't say nice, um, an interesting way of procrastinating, uh, during which I should have probably doing more corrections on my PhD thesis. I would just like to give a word of caution. The information in this presentation is not pleasant, and I do have a look at some of the quotations from interviews with serial killers, whereby they describe their crimes in some detail. So the layout of this presentation, um, I'm just going to briefly outline the fascination with serial killers, um, the context of the crimes of Ted Bundy and Ted Kaczynski. So I'll just briefly, briefly outline some of the uh, murders and other criminal activity. I will also have a look at the media's representation of Ted Bundy and Ted Kaczynski and um, the presentation of themselves and of the victims in interviews and by other means. <clears throat> so there is an increasing fascination with serial killers and morbid crime. Some academics associate this with survivalist tendencies and as others as a means of reinforcing prosocial values. So I would argue it's a fascination with a sense of othering, but that a present but that's probably a presentation for another time. To put this rise in perspective, 70 million people downloaded the 2014 podcast Serial, which investigated the 1999 murder of 17-year-old Baltimore high school student Hyman Lee. Um, and no podcast had surpassed 5 million downloads before this one. So in this presentation, we need to talk about TED. I'm going to briefly consider how a phenomenological analysis could be used to trace a person's experience um, and how the perpetrator experiences their victims as well. So firstly, I'm going to turn to Ted Bundy, who's a convicted kidnapper, rapist, murderer and necrophile who committed these crimes on women and girls in the US in the 70s. So Bundy was convicted of three murders, but just days before he was killed by the electric chair, he confessed to 30. So in 1974, Bundy attacked 14 people, 12 of which were murdered and nine of which whose bodies have been recovered. In 1975, there were six disappearances, five of which were connected with Bundy and two of these uh, bodies have never been found. In the late 1975, Bundy was arrested for the attempted abduction of Carol DeRonche, who was able to identify Bundy from a lineup. In 1977, whilst he was awaiting sentencing for the abduction of DeRonche, Bundy jumped out of a two-storey window and escaped. After about five and a half days, Bundy was recaptured because he was driving a stolen car erratically. And then in January 1978, Bundy escapes again by climbing through a small hole that he had cut in the ceiling of his cell. Um, and just days before this, he had lost a lot of weight in order to do that. So whilst on the run, Bundy went to the Chi Omega sorority house in Florida and he beat to death two women, and then he beat two others who survived. So after running from the Chi Omega house, he broke into Cheryl Thomas's kitchen window and beat her so badly that she nearly died. 
it was um, the her neighbours who had rang the police and who were able to save her on on scene. Um, that enabled her to survive. So a month later, he was again arrested for dangerous driving, um, but he refused to give his name until police from other states confirmed it, it was Bundy. And then Bundy was found guilty and sentenced to death in a televised hearing in July 1979. So it is important to note that the court hearing uh, is well documented as, firstly, Bundy insistently represented himself. He had studied law, um, as we're about to see, and he even manipulated the courtroom by marrying Carol Boone during the trial because at the time, uh, in Florida law, if two people confe- confessed that they wanted to marry in front, of the, in front of a jury, then they were officially wed. Anyway, considering the media's presentation of Bundy, he was presented to the public in a strangely sexualized way. So we've got some examples here. So he's described as a genius. He had brains and charm and a way with women. Handsome, charming. We can see the use of charm a number of times. Um, So interestingly, this sexualisation of Bundy continued even after he was found guilty. But immediately after his arrest, the headings highlighted Bundy's status as a law student. And then after his escape used adjectives such as handsome, all-American boy, and referred to him as a love-bite serial killer, which was in reference to the bodies that were found, that they had bite marks on them. So the public were given a presentation of Bundy, initially as a charming law student. He was consistently presented as something other than just a serial killer. And this, in a way, may reflect how Bundy wanted to be seen, which was as something different to what his life had given him. For example, during um, two of his attacks, which were in daylight, he would dress up to fit in with his surroundings and lied and said he had a boat and needed help with it. In one of his attacks at night, he pretended to use crutches and asked for help carrying items from, from his victims. So the public are presented with a charming law student. The victims were presented with a vulnerable person requesting help. So I'm now just going to have a look at how Bundy presents himself during his interviews. So he was interviewed by Mashard, um, but hours and hours... So Mashard interviewed hours and hours of tapes with Ted Bundy, which is where that popular uh, Netflix series comes from. But he wouldn't disclose any of the information about his attacks until Mashard then asked Bundy to discuss the case in third person as if he was then the expert. And he immediately opens up and says... It's a little after nine o'clock in the evening. My name is Ted Bundy. I've never spoken to anybody about this. I'm looking for an opportunity to tell the story as best as I can. I'm not an animal and I'm not crazy. I don't have a split personality. I mean, I'm just a normal individual. So despite obvious attempts at role play or adopting interview schemas, is in, so it's um, interesting to look at his descriptions of his narratives and the crimes. So he uses a general this and calls his statement his story. And again, we have a play towards Bundy as this kind of normal all-American boy with um, and just a normal individual. The psychological theory of Holmes et al. suggests that serial killers experience a social event that facilitates, that sorry, that fractures their personality. The serial killer then presents a virtual social identity to the outside. 
Serial killers can then maintain and conceal a stigma by constructing a virtual social identity, which is managed in social encounters. So this may not be true only of Bundy's personality, but may offer insight into his motivations. Bundy presents his, his childhood and family life differently to how it was perceived by others. Bundy man- maintains a normal, religious, loving upbringing, but according to people who lived near him, the family were dysfunctional and wanted to be seen as upper middle class when they were not. So returning to his comments in the interview and Holmes's discussion of virtual social identity, Bundy was able to uphold this facade through the televised court cases, interviews and interactions with the media. There are a few interactions uh, with the media available on YouTube and you can see him winking and waving at the uh, cameras. There is also a presentation of this normalised self through the use of third person when discussing his crimes. In an interview on the 22nd of January 89, Bundy had agreed to cooperate and help locate the bodies of some of the missing women. Bundy does not describe the missing, murdered women as people, but as remains, things, it and one. An officer asks, how was she killed? When referring to the 12-year-old Lynette Culver, who Bundy abducted from the school gates. And Bundy then replies, this is harder stuff for me to talk about. The officer also asks, was she dismembered in any way? And Bundy replies, you should find all of it. Again, not presenting Lynette Culver as a subjective being in any way, but as an object. This is seen, we can see it again in his comment, it's easy for me to try and locate the body than it is to talk about the thing. So I'm now briefly just going to talk about another serial killer, Ted Kaczynski, who was also known as the Unabomber. So I should perhaps state what I mean when I use the phrase serial killer. So I'm, in a general sense, I'm referring to a person who commits a series of murders. So Kaczynski killed three people and injured 23 in an apparent attempt to start a revolution against modern technology. Kaczynski was a professor of maths who resigned in 1971 to live in a cabin in rural Montana. In 1978, he started sending bombs to university, airline companies and people in the technological industry. In 1985, Kaczynski murdered his first victim, which was Hugh Scunn, by, by a mail bomb, and two more in 19, sorry, 1994 and 1995. In 1995, he sent his manuscript, Industrial Society and Its Future, to the Washington Post and the New York Times, threatening that if it was not published, there would be another attack. In April 1996, he was arrested after his sister-in-law called the police once realising how similar the writing was in the letters to her husband, who who was Ted Bundy's brother David, and the manuscript which was published in the newspaper. This is a timeline of um, his crimes. So 1985, Hugh Scruton was murdered, and then in 1994 and 1995 we have Thomas Mosser and Gilbert Murray, and he was arrested 3rd of April 1996. So the presentation of Kaczynski in the press was very different to Bundy. Um, firstly, there was a nickname already, the Unabomber. The perpetrator was known, at, and the perpetrator was known as the Unabomber for 17 years. So Kaczynski was not presented as a person, but as a bomber, um, and he was not romanticised in the same way as Bundy. Kaczynski's presentation of his victims was also very different to Bundy. Different in that Kaczynski does not talk about individual victims, even as objects. Um, but he just doesn't talk about them at all in his interviews. 
He does say in a 1999 interview, I was working at getting back at the system as if, this almost sounds as if he was the victim. So many people have stipulated that the Unabomber's motives derived from a logging company cutting down trees near his cabin and he, this was his response to this. But in the same interview, he uses the collective we. We can see here, so persuade or persuade the majority of people that we are right. And that mirrors the repetitive use of we that we see in his manifesto. But just to reiterate, Kaczynski did work alone. In Kaczynski's journals, however, which were found in his cabin, he mentions the victims um, who were injured and murdered by his bombs. So, for example, May about 1982, I sent a bomb to a computer expert named Patrick Fisher. His secretary opened it, but no indication that she was permanently disabled. Frustrating that I can't, can't seem to make a lethal bomb. So there is a use of the pronoun she, which does indicate that he acknowledges the victims as people and not as objects. Um, but interestingly, in a later journal, journal entry, he says, I am no longer bothered by having crippled this guy. I laughed at the idea of having any compunction about crippling an airplane pilot. So here we have phrases such as this guy, which although it directly references towards the person he injured, he uses a non-attributive noun guy. Similarly, an airplane pilot is a non-definitive description of the person. So after his first murder, Kaczynski writes, excellent, humane way to eliminate somebody. He probably never felt a thing. So the use of he does then attribute subjectivity to the victim. So it would appear that although Kaczynski does identify the victims as people, they are part of a bigger plan and that they are a sort of a means to an end. So how is it that serial killers are collectively named so when we ask the usual questions about them? Why? Um, why do we rely on their past experience to determine their present ones? We have an example from another serial killer who I'm not going to go into much detail about, but Edward Edmund Kemper. Um, he was a serial killer and necrophile and in an interview he challenged a journalist on the questions that they were asking um, and Kemper then asks the questions which he would expect a journalist to ask. What was it like to have sex with a dead body? What does it feel like to sit on a couch and look over and see two decapitated girls' heads on the arm of the couch? So Kemper is telling us that we're not asking the right questions and in this sense possibly he's right. So we need to ask different questions when analysing serial killers and possibly any criminal behaviours, it would be useful to turn to the narratives of the perpetrators themselves. So Freeman defines herself as an ongoing narrative or interpretive creation of an individual about themselves. So narratives are considered a part of the very fabric of the self and on some level we are the very stories we tell about ourselves. So Bundy consistently reiterates victims as objects. In the way in which Bundy manipulated his victims, he shows awareness of the subjective understanding of the other. But in his descriptions of victims as deceased, they are objectified. Kaczynski's non-definitive descriptions, this guy and an airplane pilot, do not show a change of subjective awareness, like Bundy, but a disregard for the victim as an individual. So we may suggest that this second example is similar to the note-taking of an experiment 
and some have argued that this links back to Kaczynski's um, manifestations after he was psychologically tested on at Harvard. But still, the use of he identifies his awareness of deceased as a subject. So learning about murderers' personal constructions of meaning in their own lives positions us to be able to identify the motivations underlying their actions. So not directly, but through linguistics and phenomenological analysis. So it's not a case of um, serial killers lacking empathy, but that there is a careful and calculated justification of embodied other as a non-self. And we can see this through Bundy's objectification of victims and Kaczynski's use of victims as symbols for technological world. So when we're attempted to understand the acts of a serial killer, a phenomenological analysis offers a narrative of awareness of the embodied other and the level of consciousness of the other's subjectivity. And in this sense, we really need to talk about Ted. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>